This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Tyler Kern, and I'm joined, as always, by the man himself, Mr. Greg Crumpton. Greg, welcome to another episode, man. How are you doing? Hey, Tyler. I'm doing great. Just sitting here rubbing my Thanksgiving swollen belly and thinking about a, a good weekend that we have with the family and just really a cool year. A lot of gratitude thinking about 2021 and the new world that we figured out how to live in. So it was a good, good day, good time, good time of year. Uh, just super happy, super happy to be here. You know, with everything going on in the world, it can be easy to lose sight of the fact that we do have so much to be grateful and thankful for over the the course of this last year. And so it's a, it's a good way to put it, Greg. And, you know, I'm really happy about today's episode and really, really thrilled to welcome our guest today. Her name is Miss Nilifer Merchant, and she is the author of incredible books like The Power of Onlyness, 11 Rules for Creating Value in the Social Era, and The New How. She's also done a number of tech talks and given other lectures, as well as launched over 100 products and netted over $18 billion in revenue. Just an incredible resume. I am honored and thrilled to welcome her on the podcast. Nilifer, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Very exciting to have Nilifer with us. And there's so much I want to talk to her about. But the, the first thing, Nilifer, I just want to jump in real quick, ask you a question about. Tell us about the Big Sur Monastery experience. Oh, there's this beautiful place called New Camaldoni, where monks live in silence on this hill in Big Sur, two miles up from, you know, Highway 1. And I've been going there for probably like 10 years. And it's a place of silence. So the only time you you open your mouth to speak is, well, if you decide to go into the prayers, you can do that. But really, it's meant for that kind of filling up that interior reserve so that you can actually hear your own voice. I recently had a chance, I'm, I'm doing a little project for them, which I'll at some point reveal more publicly, but, and I got into a conversation with the general manager and he says, most people run away within the first 24 hours if they're planning on you know staying for like a day or two, three days, because of silence, if they never had that much silence, it freaks them out because once you finally can hear your own internal cacophony, it can be a little Violet, right? Because we've never listened to it before. And so then we're like, oh my God, that's a lot of cacophony. I got to go, man. And uh, back to normal life and social media. So apparently 50% of the people run away, which I just found very amusing because I remember the first time I ever experienced it, I kind of wanted to run away too. I saw your your uh, video that you posted and you were the most serene and chill of any human being voice that I've ever heard when you were making that video. And it was I could just feel that you were just at a, a really cool place mentally. And I just had to go look it up because I, I want to go there. I like the silence. It helps me a lot, too. Yeah. It's so crazy day to day. But anyway, I, I won't I won't take all of our time with that. But I just I thought that was super cool and love the fact that you shared about that. So thank you. So we on this podcast that, that Tyler so uh, brilliantly makes us all makes me look better for sure or sound better. We talk about relationships and we talk about all kinds of stuff as it pertains to life, both work and home and how all that blends together. And I'm not, I'm not a good work-life balance person. My deal is all in a, like, it looks like a jellyfish. So you squeeze it here and it pops out over here. You squeeze it and it moves. So, you know, I might be doing every hour, either personal or business or both or whatever. It's just all jumbled up. 
And I like it that way for myself. And I was thinking about when I was reading some of your work, and, and I have for a long time, you know, my industry, the HVAC mechanical world, we're so somewhat isolated to a degree because our, our folks work by themselves on rooftops and in basements and weird places. And they don't always have a chance to be with their coworkers and, and, you know, express teamwork or they don't have the ability to communicate, you know, just a shared experience of what they're doing because they do it mostly by themselves. But your, your work and your writing really kind of made me think about it in a whole new manner of how you can be, you know, back to your onlyness point and, and your, your word that you coined best I know. How that interplays with the, the, the lone worker, the skilled worker who's out there and wants to be doing good for the industry, wants to be doing good for their family, how, how all that kind of works. And, and, you know, it's such a mechanical world and electrical and mechanical engineering. And then you've got this human that's just plopped right down in the middle of it, trying to figure all that out. So mm-hmm. that was a pretty good ramble, but that's kind of how, that's usually how we start, quite honestly. It's me rambling a bit, but tell us a little bit about onlyness and how that works for people, how you can be yourself, but yet part of a group whether it be in a work setting, home setting. Just just talk a little bit about onlyness, if you sure. will, for our, our group. Sure. So onlyness. Each of us stands in a spot in the world, only one stands. It is a function of history and experience, so your past, but it is also about that which you can envision. So I call it hopes and visions. So it is both what you've come into the world with and your, you know, school education, blah, 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 all that stuff that brings you to this point. But it's also the things you imagine are possible. And on that spot, only you stand is how you add value to the world. And it's coined for a reason. It's saying that each of us has value to add, not just some of us. So regardless of power, regardless of status, regardless of education level, regardless of whatever, that you have something to add that is so distinct to you. And so sometimes when people hear that, it gives them that sense of, of course, everything I have, everything I am, every spot I stand on matters. For some people, that makes sense. And for some people, it's been seven years since I started the research on this stuff. So for some people, they don't really want to believe it because they've been told all their life the place they stand on isn't that important. So it could mm-hmm. be because, because they were told they weren't that smart or they were told Oh, you need to be X, you know, you have to have X certification or whatever it is. Like it, it, there's a whole bunch of social conditioning that we get that says we should be air quotes needed around should we should be a certain way versus just accepting who we actually are. And from that spot, recognizing that we have some value. And so the reason I think it applies back to the, you know, folks in the HVAC world is. Every single person has something of value to offer. And so when they come into a situation at work, it's thinking about what is that that's so true to them. And I just finished a, a huge uh, kitchen remodel. I, I wish I could like walk you around the place for it. <laughs> I, I, I was joking that I figured out how to touch every surface in the house with as much money as possible. Um, because I, I was surprised at, you know, I added a second AC. I just did all the stuff that the house quote unquote needed, air quotes needed, because of course, some in which case it was just discretionary. But I went through and I was doing that stuff. And what I, I commented to my husband that every single person was such a distinctly like original person. And, you know, the electrician 
turned out to be a stock car driver mm-hmm. and so on and so on. Like I could tell you the story of each person and they had such specific, distinct stories of who they were that you would never guess when you first saw them as they walked up the driveway kind of thing. And yeah. that was the beauty of getting to know each person. And it was mm-hmm. that like part of that personality ended up showing up somehow in the work. And I was just paying attention enough to be like, oh, this guy really likes competition. This guy, you know, really likes. And then there'd be a way to kind of figure out to connect to that passion as they did their work. And that's the same thing I'm basically asking each of us to do is to go, okay, what is that thing that's like original to me that I can bring to this work that that brings me joy then? It's an expression, right? And sometimes you think about work as being the way we get money, which is certainly like, I'm not saying it's not part of it. That's how we capture value, but how we create value from the very first place is because we have something so true to us. That's our expression of who we are in the world and work is one way in which we can manifest that. So there's my, my equivalent ramble. Well, I I love that because, you know, in our industry, whether it be the electrician or the air conditioning or the plumber, there's all these certifications that you have to have, you know, that you're qualified to do this or you're licensed for that. And in fact, it brings up, I was watching your, your talk you did in 2019. I can't remember the group you were doing it for, but I watched it last night for a refresher. And you were just talking about who gets noticed in the room and it's the person, you know, that has the power or has the connotations behind their name, you know, and it's like, it's just that guy or that girl is always going to get that. And then you've got this, you know, Oh, you were talking about when you were at Apple and you were an admin and you raised your hand in a meeting, but you realized suddenly you, you probably shouldn't have been there because nobody was going to listen to you or calling you anyway. And your first thought was I should raise my hand higher. And then realizing that probably wasn't going to help you get, noticed or called upon because there was this preconceived notion of who was going to have the ideas in the room. So flipping back over, you know, to the the skilled people we're talking about, I've often told our people, my people, you know, you got two names on your uniform. One's your name and it's typically embroidered. The other one's a patch for your company. And you can change that patch, you know, with even with the Velcro, you can rip the Acme plumbing off and put on Smith plumbing, but that other name stays there, you know, it's embroidered and what you take to your customer or to your industry or to your church or however, you know, you're, you're expressing yourself, that name is there. And so you really have to learn to be true to yourself and what do you represent and what do you bring to the game? And whether you're giving that day or taking that day, you're offering something one way or the other. But that onlyness to me is that embroidered name, not the Velcro patch. Just from a from a really fundamental place. That's where I that's how I think about it. I love it. I really do. The embroidered name. I'm gonna stick with that. That's lovely. Well, you know, I've worn a uniform all my life and, and people laugh because now when I, you know, like if I do a training and I work for a huge company now that's so huge, but yet it operates very decentralized. So we have a lot of different cultures within our 40 some odd companies. Everyone's a little bit unique. You know, if I, if I show up to do a safety chat or a technical talk, I might show up in a uniform. And my name is still embroidered, you know, 
on that uniform because that's who I am. I'm bringing my 40 years of mm-hmm. industry and life to offer up to the crowd if they want to hear it. But that that's just that's how it hits me. You know, you got to you got to find that. And, and I never knew what that word was until I until I heard you say it. Yeah. And I hadn't you know, I'm not a person. I'm not like a marketing person who wants to coin a word so I can get known for something. It wasn't that. I was trying to describe something. It was I was writing something at the time for Harvard Business Review. And I was trying to characterize a specific thing. English is my fourth language that I learned. I've actually tried to learn two other languages on top of that. And I none of which sticks other than English. So just a little, you know, suck at language. But I always look up words because quite often I think, oh, I must not be using the right word. And and I really do struggle to access the exact word that I'm looking for. And I was looking for like, how do you describe something like onlyness? But then like the words that um, were sort of related were things like unique and which, which you can easily think, oh, that's a synonym for onlyness um, and or weird or brand. Those could all be um, sort of related words. And I realized each of those actually has a very different meaning. So can I go through some of those? Because it will help Please. us land the idea of onlyness a little better. So, for example, brand is how you stand out from a crowd when onlyness is how you figure out what is it that matters to you so you can figure out who your people are, which is a very different thing because then you suddenly feel like you're in community versus having to feel like I need to be so special. Like I'm like, no, you're actually special unto yourself. Like you're, you're distinct unto yourself is different than I have to be so perfect or so whatever, right? It's a different stance. Unique, it, it turns out means in comparison to, so like you're shorter than someone else makes you unique. You're a woman in a room full of men makes you unique. Whatever it can be is relative to some other group. And that makes you, so you can say, what could make me unique in a situation could also make me less than a situation, right? And so like, if I'm going to a homeowner who's really rich and I am therefore unique and everyone else, you know, is like, quote unquote, white collar and I'm blue collar, I could think that I am somehow less than. So unique can also be sort of like, yeah, that person's unique, you know, depending on who's who it's being described to, it can not necessarily be good. And then like weird is also contextual. So, you know, when we say some people there are weird, just think about the tone of how you might say that if, if someone, let's say, was black, that person's really weird. That person's ghetto, right? Like whatever the ways in which we would describe someone derogatorily, we can use weird in both those ways. And I was like, how do you get, how do you actually reframe that entire question to be each of us, regardless of the situation which we're in has value to offer simply by that spot in the world, only one stance. And so it recenters correctly in the source. So getting back to that new Kamaldani reference, you know, at the very start of this conversation from the source. I love that. You know, so the first thing I think about when I hear the word weird these days is Austin, because I remember mm. T-shirts and bumper stickers. Keep it weird. Said, yeah. Keep, keep Austin weird. And it is. I don't know if you've been there lately. Anyway, different topic, different day. You know, you, you said something a while ago, if you're the only blue collar person in a white collar crowd, big, big stigma within our world, HVAC technician, plumber, electrical world, that, you know, blue collar jobs have for years been looked down upon because people thought that was for people who 
couldn't or weren't smart enough to go to college or whatever. That no offer is something that our industry is really battling in recruiting young people because, you know, there's this stigma that, oh, you know, you handle toilets, you you must be unworthy, you know, whatever, or you're an air conditioning guy, you're in my building doing air filters. There's a big stigma around that. And, and we're trying to, as a group, I think, trying to crack that code a little bit of how, how do you make it okay to be unique in a good way or just yourself? Like you said, you know, you're, you're the only one maybe in, in your, your class of graduates that turned out to be the air conditioning guy, but we've got to have air conditioning guys. We've got to have plumbers and cooks and, you know, people who provide water and power to that house you live in, who, who, you and my wife and Tyler all like kitchen remodeling, apparently, because you've all done it recently. You know, it's just, I, I just, I worry about how do, how do we, how do we make it okay for people to be okay being themselves? And I don't, you know, obviously in the 40 minute span we have, we're not going to solve that question, but it is a big, it, it's, it, it's out there. You know? And I think it, so when I first started studying this idea I was saying that there's a group of people who always get seen and heard. And then the rest of us who are sort of like, you know, seen as the only person in the room who's whatever, right. The admin, et cetera, et cetera, all the different ways we can be made the other. And so how do we actually create belonging? So each person can actually feel like they do belong, right. That, that they have a role to play and that's about respect, self-respect and regard. Right. So how do you celebrate that thing that you bring? And so instead of saying, Gosh, I went to a four-year school or I didn't go to a four-year school. I remember uh, early on in my life, I was, I really wanted to go to a four-year school. And because of a family uh, dynamic, I wasn't encouraged to do that. You know, some families really want their kids to go to school and some kids, some families don't. I was in the, you don't go to school family. And I was always jealous of all my friends who got to go to four-year schools and always jealous of that immersion experience of like, what would it be like to study? And that would be the only thing you would do. Right. And I actually worked my way through college first at De Anza college, which is a community college. And then at USF, which is a part-time program. And then at Santa Clara, all part-time programs. So even though I have degrees on the wall behind me, there was always a part of me as like, Oh, those schools didn't count in the same way. Like there was a part of me that always sort of wanted to apologize because they weren't the name brand schools. And yet I had more work experience than anybody else, right. you know, that first couple of years. And I also had this, like, what's the right way of saying it? But it's sort of like, I was one of those weirdos that would go to class. And then because the next day I'd be sitting next to whoever, you know, like a project manager or a finance person or whatever at a project team. And I'd say, Hey, like last night, I just learned this class thing about accounting systems and FIFO or LIFO or whatever it was called at the time. And, you know, whatever it is I learned the night before. And I was like, how do you apply that in your job? And I would just ask because, you know, I was genuinely curious about mm -hmm. who I was sitting next to. And, and what's so weird is I ended up learning how to apply probably every subject better because I was sitting inside work situations with people who were doing that work. Yeah. And so here's like what I consider to be a negative, right? I mean, like it's a less than kind of thing. And it took me a while to go, oh my God, the gift in it was this. And so, and because no one in my life was encouraging that to go, gosh, there's a gift in everything, right? There's a, what's the Leonard Cohen line? There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Mm -hmm. 
And so all the things that are, are cracks that we think somehow make us flawed, it's actually also a source of our creativity. Well, you know, that situation we would refer to as an apprenticeship. You know, you're, you're learning theory and then you're immediately able to apply the theory into a real life scenario. There you go. Yeah. And I think that, and, and I've, I've been an advocate for a long time of all engineering students to have to work in the field in a co-op program. So as they're learning electrical theory or structural, structural theory, they have to go and apply that on a job site because mm -hmm. the shit gets real when you get in the mud. Yeah, you know? exactly. it, it, it's not on the drawing board or on the, on the computer screen. I think that what you described right then is the essence of mature and compound learning because every day you're learning and applying, you'll never have to go through that on your first day of the job because you went through it while you were getting educated. Right. And, and so, I think that's huge. And so, so just to think about onlyness, then back to this thing about like, how do we start to signal to each other, whether it's our children or our spouse or our colleagues or our, you know, whatever the, whatever the other people in our life are, it's just like, instead of accepting what society says is valuable because of power, because of status, how about we actually recognize in each other what the gift is? And so, um, and this is where we need each other. A friend of mine, when I was first doing some of this research, I was describing it to a, a friend who happens to be an author and it was Justine Musk who just coincidentally happens to be Elon Musk's first wife. And I was describing it to Justine. She was at the house spending the night before we went and did something together. And I was describing it and she goes, oh my God, it's like a light bulb. And so here's how she described onlyness back to me. So I was saying onlyness is that thing that you bring into the room that only you have, right? And she said, it's like a light bulb, but we can't see our own light. And so when we show up in different rooms, like the room changes, but because we're there too, we think, oh, the room's always that way. Mm. And yet when we can watch like Tyler walk out of the room or Greg walk out of the room, we're like, oh, when Tyler was here, when Greg was here, X stuff happened, yeah. right? Or that person really cares about blah, blah, blah. And here's the thing. The person looking at the light can go, oh, that light is tangerine orange or mandarin blue or whatever thing that particular shade, that specificness of that person shines through. And so if we can be that to one another, that's probably a good takeaway from this is to just say, how do we help celebrate that? Because then imagine also people saying it back to us, people saying, hey, Nilifer, you're really insightful when you write long prose pieces because you deconstruct an idea. So we might get it right. Or mm -hmm. Tyler, you're really good at listening so that people can express themselves the best. Right. Or whatever it is. And so when we sit there and we help each other see the light that's shining so brightly and so ridiculously obvious, but own it in a way, just a caveat to that. It's not like saying, Tyler, you're ex. We're not trying to label the person. We're trying to say what I notice when you're here. And then you get to take on, Tyler or Greg gets to take on for themselves, what part of that identity feels more and more true to them so they can incorporate into their own sense. And if we can do that for each other, and just imagine, right? Imagine if all our colleagues could go, Greg, you know what you're really good at is talking to people and inviting them to share the best themselves. You know what you're really good at, right? And, and then we sit there and we start to, when we're assembling teams also, we go, oh, you know who we need on this team as somebody who's really good at blah, 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 right? And it would just be on the technical skill. Yeah. 
And you know who does that is uh, Ray Dalio. Uh, they do those. Uh, have you ever read his book? The the I forgot. The, I know Ray's work absolutely. Yeah. All right. So they do the. They're like baseball playing cards, but they're of all of their team members. So if you're looking for somebody with, you know, X Y Z, you go to the roster and you can find those people. You know, it's like having a disc profile on, on hand for everybody so that you can match up the criteria with the, with the proper personality. So, so our, our industry, I'm fixated on that because it's so frontal lobe for me right now mm -hmm. is trying to backfill the number of people like me that are of retirement age. I'm the youngest baby boomer. I was born in 64. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm the last person in line. If I can quote Ronnie James Dio, one of my favorite singers in the age of, of, you know, people getting ready to go out of the industry. So we're recruiting young people and young people in, in a stereotypical way here, I'll say aren't mature enough to understand what you just explained because a 23 year old young man or 19 year old young lady that we're talking to, may not be able to understand that that yellow aura that they put into the room is special. And how do you think, th this is just a straight up question. If we're appealing to parents to say, if your kid is not cut out for college or not cut out, or they don't want to go to college or whatever, how do we make it okay for them to choose a, a dirty hands career without being ostracized by their peers. Well, let's just take apart how we even just describe that, right? And if you don't mind, I'm going to use your exact language. The way we just characterized it as you're not cut out for college says that you're less than. Right. And, right. And, and so sometimes we got to just think about how are we even framing it? So college has been viewed as a premier destination for a long time, but what if we viewed it as, is your kid really in the hands-on application? Hmm. Right. Because that's the gift. That's the, that's the, that the people who can work with their hands are the people who really love making a difference every day. Like, you know, what you did that day when you, you know, yeah, made a you house. See it. Yeah. You see it. You see that. In fact, uh, the team that was just working uh, on our kitchen remodel, they were joking around about they want to come take pictures because they had so much fun doing the project. They want to show other people. And for them, it was the visualization of, we thought about where the lights were going to go for a super long time. You just sat there and thought that should align with that and so on. And there was a real joy in that expression. And then they can see that they made a difference in someone's life, right? Like they can see the actual work product. And there's something about that that's quite specific. And so who wants to see at the end of the day that they made a difference in someone's life? That sort of like, I, I did this, I built this, I made the house cooler, I warmed the house, right? I remember when uh, I was first moved into this house, which was my son was in my belly and the house didn't have any, and he's now off to college. So that kind of gives you a perspective of how long I've lived uh, in this one spot. But in the exact room I'm sitting in, I used to get about, because Los Gatos can get pretty hot. So I used to get like in the height of summer, he was due in August. So probably like June, we had a couple of heat days and like 105 degrees. And oh, I was, smoke. and it, I was going into, what do they call it? But basically like early labor it wasn't Braxton Hicks, but there's something that basically causes you to go into early labor. And so I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, well, you need to be in a cool, the heat's actually causing the problem. And so why don't you go hang out all day at the 
mall. That was his answer. Why'd you go hang out all day at the mall? And I was like, mm, I kind of have to go solve HP Labs innovation problem today because I actually had like a really big project, you know, that I was like, I'm not going to hang out at the mall. I'm hired by the general manager of HP Labs to come fix their innovation problem. And I had like a deadline and stuff. So I was just like, that's so ridiculous. So I called this general contractor who had worked with the last homeowners and said what the problem was. And here's the deal. He was Irish and he had something like eight children of his own. Kavanaugh was his name. And he said, oh, my God, I totally understand the problem. My wife had the same thing. I'm going to go call some of my other customers who have AC things planned. See if I can borrow one of their units that I already have in queue for them to help you and get it done. And he was like done in like two days. And so talk about an expression of self where he immediately knew the benefit to someone. Right. And so how do we celebrate that? How do we tell those stories? That would be the reshifting. Because I think then the right people are going to be like, oh my God, I totally don't want to work in theory. I want to work it at practice because I want to be able to see the work product every day. And then that you start to go, what's the benefit of that work? Instead of viewing it in comparison, you start centering the work itself. And, and that, we all have those stories. stories. We yeah. all have those, you know? Exactly. Right. And so I'm sure, I mean, I just told you a few of the stories I have from my work experience, but of course you live in the industry and everyone's got a story. So you have those. And so how do we start telling those stories instead of viewing it as less than or in comparison to what is established powerful status and start celebrating the thing that is true to us? You know, that that's a great way of saying that. And I was just thinking back, my sister, three years older than I am, PhD sister, you know, A plus, 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 all the way through school from, from preschool all the way through doctorate. Gotta love it. And then then here I come, you know, they're like, what the hell? Are y'all from the same planet? Much less the same parents. So I was always trying to work that out, but that's a great way of saying it. What, what difference what what difference did you make and how do you showcase that? I think is how yeah. I, that's what I heard you say. Yeah. And I think we're just trying to center correctly. Right. So, so <clears throat> every time we're doing a comparison, which is what those ideas of weird and unique or brand can do is cause us to compare it to other people. How do we center correctly yeah. on that thing that is true to us? And so if it's true to the HVAC industry that you get to see the application at the end of the day, you get to take pride network every day, celebrate that. Center correctly. Love it. Yeah. Tyler, you've been very quiet, young man. What are you thinking up there? I'm looking in my upper right hand screen. Oh, is that where I am on your That's on your uh, array of things? Yeah. No, I, so one of the things I'm curious about, Nilfer, is how maybe this this recent you know, two years or so, what sorts of things have you noticed in terms of trends or ways of thinking? in terms of how people are approaching work and themselves, as we've seen a lot of people maybe shift careers as a result of COVID or desire different things. We've seen a lot of people move away from some of the traditional jobs that they've held in the past and that sort of thing. Have you noticed a large scale shift in terms of how we think about work and how that relates to ourselves and us as entire human beings, I suppose? And has that led us maybe to, to approach work in different ways? I'm, I'm really just curious as, as to your thoughts on that, because I know that, that this is probably something that you've you've noticed and, and thought about a lot. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I do focus a lot on the sort of what workplaces look like. And you've probably heard the, the phrase about the, the great reckoning, right? That there's yeah. all these jobs that have been essentially disappeared, right? And people are really struggling to find labor to come into their workplaces and stuff. And it's because it, what's funny is I lived in France for 
two years. And so I happen to track that economy too, through, you know, different things I'm reading still. And what they had done is furloughed people and paid everyone. So the French government basically said, we have to provide for our people. We're going to make sure they're taken care of at the certain level so that they, that when we do come back, we have the opportunity to utilize people. And so here's an interesting, actually like cultural norm. So there people are paid a living wage no matter what. So like the government considers it its job to make sure like people actually have livelihoods. America's government has been gutted for so long that that's not true. Government's role is not to protect the individual. Government's role is to protect business in America. So it's weird to see the difference, but there, so they furloughed people. And so then when people got a chance to go back to work, they had jobs to go back to. Imagine that. And so, mm. but even there, people had a chance. I mean, we just had a death-defying pandemic, right? I think we've lost something like 700,000 people in America, 5 million people globally. That's crazy numbers. If you just kind of like sit there and just think about it. And yeah. by the way, have either one of you lost people you know? We, we've lost one employee who was unvaccinated and 60 years old. Sorry. But that's as close as it's been for me, luckily. Okay. And Tyler, anybody you lost? No, not not someone I've been close to. No. Yeah. And so it's interesting, right? Also, of the 700,000 people, majority of people of color. So mm-hmm. so it's not surprising that as we look on this call, like we may not see it. But, but there's an entire group of people who've lost at least one member of their family. It's sizable. And so there's this great reckoning, as it's called. And I, I like to think about it, actually, as there's this great realization for some of us to go, oh, my God, what really matters to us? I think a lot of people that I'm having one-on-one conversations with are saying to me, I hated my job. I hated my job. And when I had a chance to kind of sit back and go, oh, my God, I don't want to do that again. So people are going through this process. Death has death-defying moments, whether it's cancer or a pandemic. It kind of helps us to realize something about ourselves, right? And go, oh, my God, I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing X. And I think we just had like that awakening moment with a lot of people going, I don't really want to do that for the rest of my life. So I think that's a good thing. That's actually a really good thing if we can come out of it and go, who am I really? And what, what is my best and highest use? What I hope will happen is those people finding better places for them to be able to use their gift in the world. What I worry about happening is that we'll end up in this need to get back to work, you know, people needing to pay bills and stuff. We'll end up accepting crappy jobs again, and we'll end up not having that awakening kind of lead to something better. But I think it's interesting what some person who tweeted, and I'm sorry for not remembering the exact person, but it was brilliant. They said, it's so weird. We call it the great, the great resignation was one of the phrases, but that centers the hirer, but it's not centering the laborer, which has, you know, like this, like, who are all these people and what are they feeling? And I remember a friend of mine had published an article in the New York times and labeled this mode languishing. And I had, uh, it was funny enough because I'm in my inbox, a lot of people wrote me going, I don't feel languishing. Do you feel languishing? And I was like, yeah, it's weird that this person, a white guy would label the universal thing that we're all experiencing is languishing. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that people of color who've lost a member of the family, they're not languishing. Yeah. Right. So, so I think we have to find our own words, find our own words, find our own description of what's actually going on and then actually go, what do I want? From this moment, I know the first few months of the pandemic, it's hard to remember now because I think we're all trying to block it. I sat on a couch. I didn't take a shower. I didn't. I did. I think there was like an entire week where I didn't take a shower. I didn't wash my hair. I was just like, I'm going to die. You know, I was so convinced I was going to die. And and that level of fear was so overwhelming. 
that it wasn't like I could work. I was like not functioning. And so the fact that we're coming back to this place and we're trying to pretend like everything's back to quote unquote normal. I don't think it is. I think we just had a death defying moment. Yeah. I don't think we'll ever go back to what we used to know and it, good or bad. It's, it, it, it is it's a time that's passed, I think. Yeah. So I think it's up to us, right? Yeah. It's up to us. But I think what's interesting in our neck of the woods, we've had more need for traditional HVAC kind of workers. And, and there's been this sort of constant like, huh, there's this dearth in the market of people that we need. And so hopefully it'll create that suck at the end of the hose for your marketplace, right? That yep. It's a good living. It should be, it should be well-paid jobs, right? Because it definitely requires skill. And no debt. No and no debt. debt. There you go. Yeah. 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 That's the big thing. You know, I mean, when you look at, there, there's $6 trillion worth of student debt and the majority of it will go into default, which made me want to ask you, I knew you went to France. I didn't really know all the particulars about it, but I knew you were there for a while. I'm curious, what did the French think about Marcon after they went back? Were, were they grateful that the government was there for them? How, how did that play out? I think everyone understands their relationship to government there quite differently. So it's it's weird ever since the 80s in America and sort of Newt Gingrich's quote unquote contract with America, where the government's been serially gutted and the elite keep rising and the, the rest of the people don't have any protection. The French government is just the opposite, right? Like they expect protection. So there's been this, ex- the expectation has never changed there, that we expect government to take care of our citizens is a fundamental. And then we're negotiating how how we take care of our citizens. So like you will never see food product that isn't good in the, in the market. So it, here's like one experience that, that just like still to this day, like fascinates me. So when you go into a grocery store in France, y- your first food product that you're presented is not Cheetos. And so y- you don't understand the difference until you've gone there for a bunch of time. And then you come back to America and you're like, what is, what is wrong with Americans? But it's the, it's just this dichotomy that I never even understood until I lived there. So when you first go there, the first thing they present you is fruit, because by the way, that's the product that is most perishable and then breads. So you go past fruit and bread and so on. And the junk food is literally in the far most corner of the store because that's considered to be like the, you know, you buy one of those, you buy a bunch of fruit. So you're going to want that first in your cart. And in America, it's flipped because of who is allowed to drive promotions inside stores. Mm -hmm. And the incentives are economically towards that company that's willing to pay spiffs so that you get all the front kiosks of soda and and candy and stuff. But the French government's like, well, that's bad for our citizens. So no, don't do that. You know, and so uh, I want somebody to look out for us a little more than I hadn't seen that difference until I came back. So I think this whole social contract, this notion of how do we care for each other is much more embedded into that culture. So the notion that somebody got furloughed and got paid is not a, it's not an act of welfare. That's an act of community and everyone gets taken care of. And by the way, workers, there, person who's a waiter, that's a profession. Yeah. We, we spent two weeks over there in a bed and breakfast or, or a, a Airbnb mm-hmm. So I had to go to the grocery and I never thought about that until you just were describing it. But it's so true. The deeper you go into the store, the shittier the product. Right. Because they want you to just come in and out, get the good stuff. Yeah, that's right. I I, I never really thought about that reason. And it wasn't that pristine end cap with the, you know, 44 selections of, of diet soda. 
Yeah, you're right. Wow. See, Tyler, it was worth the effort, man. Look at what we learned today. I mean, I've learned a lot. <laughs> well, Nelliver, th- this kills me to say, but we're at the brink of our, our time together. Mm-hmm. It's been so good. So good. And, and so uh, I was just looking at my list of things I wanted to talk to you about, and I didn't hit any of those. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> But so worth it. Really appreciate your, your insights and, and what you shared with us and gave me a lot to think about of how to go about tackling our our recruitment effort and our, our industry branding and our, our onlyness as an industry, really. So thank you. Good. Great. Great spending time with both of you. Have a good rest of your Tuesday. Good stuff. Good stuff. Well, everyone, thank you for tuning into another episode. Greg, thank you for being here for another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton, man. It was good, Tyler. You know, I, I appreciate the insight. You always bring something different because of our age difference and what we do you know, is different. So you think differently than I do. And I think having the, the difference of questions for Nelliver really makes me think more like, all right, here's what Tyler's saying. And it kind of puts me in a different perspective. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And really do, Nelliver, thank you. We'll stay tuned. And Tyler, where can we get all the information about this good stuff we've talked about? Well, you can go to NillaFromMerchant.com for more information about her, about her books. You can find a, a lot of videos there as well of lectures and, and talks that she has given. And so fantastic stuff there on NillaFromMerchant.com. And everyone can uh, stay tuned for upcoming episodes of Straight Out of Crumpton. You can follow along on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or GregCrumpton.com. So we're giving you lots of websites today that you can visit for more excellent stuff. But uh, for Greg, we're signing off for this one. So everyone stay tuned. We'll be back soon with new episodes of the show. But for this episode of Straight Out of Crumpton, thanks for joining us. Thank you.